0: Thanks for tuning into The Scoop. I hope we can continue to serve as an important source of information and entertainment during these unprecedented times. I want to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Bitstamp, before we get started with the episode. They're the original global cryptocurrency exchange. Since 2011, Bitstamp has been a cornerstone of the cryptocurrency industry and the preferred exchange for serious traders and investors, trusted by over 4 million customers including top financial institutions. Bitstamp is built on professional-grade trading technology. Their platform is powered by a matching engine from NASDAQ, the global stock exchange, and their APIs are consistently recognized as the best in the industry. Bitstamp's advanced trading interface, TradeView, features live charting, deep analytical tools, and is available on web and mobile. You can download the Bitstamp app from the App Store or Google Play, or visit bitstamp.net slash pro to learn more and to start trading today. That's bitstamp.net slash pro. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to what is a very special episode of the scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro and we have a very special guest on the other side of the mic. You probably know him best from his antics on Twitter under the handle Law Master. We have the Director of Research at The Block, my dear and esteemed colleague, Larry Cermak. And we have a very timely news-focused episode for you folks. We're going to be talking about the meltdown at Twitter, what the latest is, how it all unfolded, the hack that ultimately targeted some of the most popular, well-known Twitter accounts ranging from... CZ to Joe Biden, um, Larry. Thanks so much for uh, taking out the time from your very busy schedule.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Frank. Uh, <laughs> excited to be here.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's going to be really interesting. Um, it's it's funny, I guess. The first, <laughs> we'll we'll have to we'll save the memery and and the, uh, <laughs> we have some. I promised some folks in the Twitter world that we'd give them a shout out, but we'll save that for the end. To start, I guess. It's really fascinating how this unfolded from the news perspective, right? Like I was kind of sitting at my desk and thought, all right, like another one of those classic, you know, send me crypto, I'll send it back memes with, with like the standard accounts getting targeted. Um, Walk us through like from the research desk and the news desk, because I know you were working relatively closely with um, uh, McSweeney who was writing it. Like when did we know, or rather, when did it go from okay, this is just the classic crypto thing to okay, whoa, what the what the hell's going on here? This is this is a lot more yeah. serious.
1: Sure. So let's let's get started from what it actually started. Uh, you kind of jumped uh, a little bit too much in there, but it actually started with, with Angelo BTC, uh, pretty well known trader, one of the OG guys, uh, really wealthy trader. Um, and he basically just tweeted, you know, if you want to join my paid group, um, send me a DM and I'll, will send you an address. And, uh, that was really the first thing back then, no one really knew, you know, where that was going to go. It happened an hour before a large, first large account was hacked. Uh, but it was did suspicious, people, right? Did,
0: did people think that, yeah, I was just going to say like, is that something that his following would have viewed as being unusual for him? Because a lot of these large yeah, traders uh, have was, paid groups. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like one, he's super rich, so why would he even want to start a pay group, right? Like it's it's beyond him, um, and so that was really unexpected. I saw that tweet really early, probably like two, three minutes after it happened. The first thing I did is I, I DM'd the guy and asked him for the address because that's how you can then track where the bitcoins end up. Because I already was suspicious; it, it was suspicious. So um, I thought it was it was someone who hacked into his account. It, it was really weird. Uh, so that was the first thing that happened. But, you know, back then it was what I thought is it it was just someone who just hacked into his account, right? Like stole his password, stole his phone or something and just got into it. And it was just one person uh, taking advantage of a really wealthy trader to get some Bitcoin. Um, So that's how it started. I got his address and that's how I was able to track it initially. Uh, but you know, it turns out that was just the first step of many, many, many more to come, uh, back then again, it, it didn't look like anything like that. It just looked like a regular hack. Um, but then, uh, if we, if we move a little bit more forward, so this happened at about 2.15 PM Eastern time. Uh, but then in about an hour, hour later, uh, the first large account, um, got hacked and, and the first tweet was tweeted from that account and that was Binance and that was at 3.13 PM. Um, and and again, at that time, I, first of all, I didn't see any connection between the first tweet and the second tweet. It just seemed like a coincidence. Uh, and it just seemed like it was, again, just Binance being targeted, uh, by one of the hackers, you know, maybe the social media manager lost their password. Uh, maybe they were using a third party service that, that was compromised. Uh, it just looked like a regular exchange, uh, account hack and nothing too big, but, Again, it raised some red flags because Binance has a really large following. And all of a sudden, they they were tweeting about um, an apparent scam. It was obvious it was a scam. And and again, we noticed this really early on um, and we started paying closer attention. Uh, But then it really started spiraling out of control. So then uh, I think like 10 minutes later, CZ, who's the CEO of Binance, uh, got hacked through the same thing. So back then, again, I thought, you know, that was probably just a third party service uh, that someone compromised. And, you know, it's known that CZ is letting his employees, some of his employees tweet from his account. So I thought it was just, just uh, you know, those two accounts being compromised. But it started looking a little weird. But then it started spiraling out of control completely, right? Then, then large accounts started getting targeted in crypto. So Gemini was next, then Coinbase, then Qcoin, then Coindesk. Uh, and it just kept going. And at that point, really, there weren't that many options of what it could be. Uh, the first thing that came to my mind was, like I said, a third-party tweeting service, which a lot of these exchanges use to schedule our tweets. Uh, it was possible that one of their one of them became compromised and someone could tweet anything from any of the accounts that was using the service. So that was my I first guess.
0: I think that's the one of the more confusing aspects of this. and And we definitely want to touch on Twitter's slow response to addressing this event, because you know, like you wrote earlier, or rather last week, you know, it it took hours for them to to respond, even after big accounts like Elon Elon Musk um, were targeted. So, but what's the connection? Like, what did these hackers have access to that allow them to target? all of these various accounts like right. it makes sense you know okay like maybe someone at twitter had the credentials for a lot of these crypto uh, accounts but how were they able to get binance and then elon and then joe biden what were the tools that they had access to that allowed them to not just get into a few crypto accounts but then basically to our knowledge do the same thing across yeah. dozens and dozens I think maybe even hundreds of accounts.
1: Yeah. So when this started happening to large accounts like Elon Musk, Bill Gates, you know, Uber, Apple, Kanye West, then it started being really suspicious. So then it really couldn't have been a third party tweeting service because they're not using, using that service. And then also some accounts started tweeting that they're using two factor authentication and they were still getting targeted. And then on top of that, uh, Paola from Bitfinex, one of our friends, uh, tweeted that their account, uh, their their email account was changed, uh, which is impossible if you don't have full uh, account access. So then it became extremely apparent that it was either a zero day exploit of Twitter itself, or it was an employee that had access to all the employee tools that got compromised. And later it turned out that it was the second option. It was, it was an employee panel uh, that one of the employees or maybe two or maybe more had access to and that was abused. Uh, so it was more like a social, social attack than, uh, a regular exploit.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's not like this, this hacker or this group, um, behind this basically was able to get the credentials of all these accounts, but rather was able to access Twitter system and basically just take the thing over.
1: Yeah, exactly. So what they could do is that they had uh, the panel where they saw, you know, everything about the account. So they could click on Binance's account and what they could do is change the email. So uh, that was the way that they did it. They they just changed the email to one of the ones that they owned and then they just reset the password Um, and that allowed them to get full access of all the accounts. So, you know, you didn't just have access to tweeting. You had access to pretty much everything in the account. They were full users of that account. Uh, which made this really, really strange and, and really scary to a lot of people because it seemed, you know, especially even early on, it just seemed that anyone could be targeted. Like even me and you, obviously, uh, no one really wanted to target people like us, but literally anyone at that point could have been targeted and and all the DMs could have been uh, accessed. So every, none of it was safe uh, at that moment. Uh, when, it was not safe. Came... No one was yeah, safe. Yeah, C Z was not safe uh, <laughs> It and, would have been uh, wild if
0: they got some of my DMs.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think that's one of the really good lessons here is that you know just don't tweet confidential information in there. I, I can't really even imagine what some of these executives are, are you know messaging with people there. I know some of the DMs that I've exchanged with people. I don't even want to know about the DMs that you've exchanged with people, and then you know, imagine even some stronger examples. Uh, so you know, really, a big learning here is everyone should just be using encrypted communication channels for all the confidential, important communication. It's it's just really scary. And one thing to keep in mind is, you know, if this happened, it's very much possible that it happened at some point before, or it, that it can happen in the future. So uh, it's just important to just keep that in mind.
0: Yeah, the fact that this can happen to anyone, and and not only not only the fact that it could have happened in the past, but it could maybe even happen in the future. And the folks behind a future attack might be a bit more sophisticated. And I think that's a good segue to sort of talk about who's behind this. We have a very limited understanding. Uh, Nathaniel Popper did some great reporting over the weekend about how this was really just a, a bunch of unsophisticated folks might use the word amateurish, um, group of younger kids, one of them at the center of this was Kirk. Um, that was kind of your intuition that maybe these folks weren't super sophisticated. People were worried that this might just be phase two or phase one of a, of a broader attack, which would be followed by, you know, a state actor potentially holding DMS for ransom. But given what we possibly know about who the people are behind this, that's probably not going to happen, hopefully, right? Because it just seems like something that got a bit out of hand. Um, but walk us right. through how we how we kind of know that.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, right after it started happening, I actually thought that it was sophisticated because it was just scary, right? Anyone could have been targeted. And it looked like the, the Bitcoin scheme, you know, them collecting some Bitcoin was just really silly because they were not getting a lot. And it seemed like, you know, if you have an exploit like that, or if you can't tweet anything from any account, there are a lot of ways you can monetize that. There are a lot of ways you can just make a lot of money on it. And all they did was started tweeting out really simple Bitcoin scams, which to me was surprising because if someone can engineer an attack like this, you know, a rational person would think that they have something else in mind, not just collecting, you know, 12 Bitcoin or whatever, One dollars it's nothing. Uh, so initially I I thought it was something else, you know, but then later, uh, you kind of look at how they were conducting the transactions, uh, and you, you look at the behavior that, that the hacker was kind of showing, um, on, on the Bitcoin uh, wallets. And it was really quickly apparent that it was not a sophisticated player. One really large example here is, uh, so he was tweeting out these links that when people clicked, uh, you could find the Bitcoin address. The only issue was that the address was actually not renewing itself. So, it was whenever you click on that link, it was the same exact address. If the, if the attacker was actually sophisticated, they would generate a new address whenever the link was reloaded because that would not allow people like me, you know, total amateurs and, and people like Chainalysis, Chainalysis and Elliptic these fairly sophisticated tracking tools, it would not allow them to track everything so easily. So instead of generating, you know, hundreds of hundreds of addresses that no one would know about later, they only generated three addresses throughout the whole entire attack in those three hours. Uh, So you think like a more
0: sophisticated attacker might've tried to use far more addresses throughout the scheme?
1: Yeah, Yeah, because if you generate a new address on the site, Whenever the link is reloaded, then an idiot like me would not know that the address was generated. It would only be the person that sent the Bitcoin and only the person uh, that received the Bitcoin that would know the address. But instead, they just reuse the same address, and that allowed someone like me to perfectly know how much money they collected and also where all the money is going. Uh, and, and it also so helps. Was, it
0: also it also helps firms like Coinbase or other exchanges. Some of these blockchain exactly. analytics firms yeah. track it and then. We, we had the news this morning that Yugita put out um, explaining or illustrating how Coinbase was able to essentially block a lot of folks from moving money to some of these addresses. Maybe yeah. if they used 100 addresses, some of those funds might have gotten through Coinbase's crack, so to speak.
1: Not some of them, likely all of them, right? Because mm-hmm. Coinbase, Coinbase would have no way of knowing which, which addresses were leading there. And the same for Binance and all the other exchanges. So this to me was extremely silly. So if your, if your only motivation is just collecting Bitcoin and, and trying to scam people, then this is like literally a massive mistake that you make. It just doesn't make any sense to me. If someone was sophisticated, they would not do this. So that okay. to me, that, that tells me that that person was not sophisticated or that the attack was not planned, right? Because if you plan it in advance, you would generate this quick script that just generated new addresses for you. So maybe he was sophisticated, but he just didn't plan it in advance. He got access to this maybe by accident or you know, he just didn't expect he would get access like that and then he just started abusing it. But it just it just looked amateurish. It was uh, it was just weird.
0: Yeah, it's it's super weird. Um but if we focus in on the motivation there for a second, if it wasn't this more sophisticated plot to um, take over some of these major accounts to exploit their personal information. And if it wasn't necessarily a scheme to get as much Bitcoin as possible, right. Because you would have used more addresses or, or just been a little bit more sophisticated in your approach. What Mm -hmm. do you think, like what were they trying to do just, you know, have a bit of fun or maybe they didn't know they'd have as yeah, much I, access as they thought they would.
1: Yeah, I think it's a combination of those two, honestly. And to me, it looked like a massive publicity stunt, right? Like you started with, with Angelo, move on, move over to Binance and all of a sudden, you know, you're getting access to Elon Musk, you're getting access to Bill Gates, uh, and it was getting covered by everyone at that point. Like early on, we were the first publication to cover it because it started with crypto and no one cared. Right? If Binance get hacked, no one cares. But if Elon Musk gets hacked and then Bill Gates gets hacked, you know, 10 minutes later, it's a massive deal. And it started getting covered by all the large media publications and that attacker or that hacker started getting a lot of attention. And that's likely what he was after, at least partially. Um, mm-hmm. And then, like you said, I think, you know, maybe he got maybe they got too much access um, and they didn't know they would get that much access. It's, it's really hard to tell, but it's just weird. And, and this is not the only example. Like then if you look at some, some of the transfers afterwards, right? So after they collected all the Bitcoin, they had th- these Bitcoins in three different addresses. They started like sending them around through these three addresses. So like, for example, if they didn't do that, I wouldn't even know that Angelo's attack was, was uh, the same. We would not know. If they didn't transact between those two addresses, we would have no way of knowing. But somehow they started transacting between all of them, which just tells us that it was either one group of hackers or just one hacker in itself. And then they started like splitting the amounts and then consolidating them again. Uh, there was some history of their trading accounts, potentially. Uh, it was just it, it was just really amateurish, And that surprised me quite a bit. Um, so I think the theory that Popper kind of put out that it was just some kid that got too much access, someone in their 20s, potentially. Uh, that sounds pretty likely. And and Twitter, in their tweets, uh, they said that they didn't really get access to much of the personal data. I think they said only like nine or 10 accounts, and none of them were verified. So it doesn't seem like the motivation was, was to extort people.
0: It's funny, though, still looking back, and, and when we saw this unfold, or in the process of unfolding you know, there were rumors of it being a state actor, or just speculation of it just being this much right. more nefarious entity behind it. And now we kind of know that that's likely not the case, but even still it's scary because what if someone more sophisticated did this and Twitter was not prepared and they weren't prepared in their response to it. And in, in terms yeah. of just taking a really long time, and even like now today on, on months, on Monday, um, they haven't really completely explained how they could avoid this in the future or right. the steps that they've taken to make sure that this doesn't happen again. Um, from, from your perspective, what do you, what do you expect Twitter to do? And like, how would you grade, um, their most recent statements in terms of, um, transparency and, Um, effectiveness.
1: Yeah, so I think to start, you know, this attack, like I said, it's it started becoming apparent that this is a massive issue at at about 3 30 p.m. Um and it ended at 6.05 p.m. So two and a half hours uh the attack was ongoing which in my opinion is completely unacceptable, right? Like this guy was literally just tweeting Bitcoin scams, but imagine if it was someone that had that you know was tweeting out other things like actually tweeting out things by people that would, you know, they would not be able to tell that it was not them tweeting it. Yeah. Uh, Tweeting something something about like, you know,
0: Elon's, if Elon Musk tweeted something about like Tesla Tesla production or something.
1: Yeah, exactly. They could have really screwed over a lot of companies. They could have caused a massive mess. Uh, And Twitter was just sitting on the sidelines, you know, still tweeting about something else for like an hour. Uh, and it became apparent that this was a massive issue and it took them more than two hours to really do anything is really, that's really unacceptable to me. You know, they were targeting these really large verified accounts and they could have just stopped either to take the whole Twitter down, which I think was my suggestion back then because it was just getting out of hands so and no one knew what was coming or just, you know, stop, tweet, stop letting people that are verified tweet. And they eventually did that at, at I think, 6 p.m. But it was two hours late, uh, so I think that the reaction was really, really bad. And, and I think it reflected really badly on Twitter. I, I think the aftermath uh, was a little bit better. It still took them some time to figure out what exactly happened. But they did provide some updates, uh, and, and they did clear it up fairly well, I think. But the initial reaction, I think, was just... Uh, unacceptable, especially because it was happening at hours when when the US, you know, was it was the regular day yeah. people were sleeping. <laughs> it was in
0: the middle of the day.
1: <laughs> yeah, and they were still tweeting about you know some of the other stuff and not really paying attention to this, uh, which was just ridiculous to me, honestly. Uh, and even back then, and now even more so. Um, so I hope that you know this kind of incident kind of teaches them how to react next time and and shows that there are probably much better ways to react.
0: One firm that's worked its way into the crossfire is Coinbase, which is maybe taking just as much uh, flack as as Twitter itself for preventing, they say, a thousand customers from sending approximately $280,000 worth of, of Bitcoin. You have a lot of the folks on the libertarian side of the spectrum in the crypto world saying this is, this is bad. Like this is a bad thing for, for crypto. And, you know, I I feel like any person peeking into our space from the outside and seeing this reaction is they're probably scratching their heads and thinking, well, doesn't that, isn't that good? Doesn't that make sense? You don't want people sending money. They, they probably don't have to some scammer, but I guess there's this notion in crypto that like, if you're dumb enough to get wrecked, you might as well just get wrecked.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I guess. Um, I think I, I think what Coinbase did is actually really good. I think that's one of the advantages of holding your funds um, on a third-party service, or on, on, on a custodial service, is that something like this can be for, prevented for people that don't know better. So you know, even though it was really easy to detect for us, there's still people that hold crypto that don't really understand these things. And, and that would have wasted a lot of money. Like you said, it was 280,000 and, and the hacker originally got only about 120 to $130,000. So it would have been three times as much if Coinbase didn't do this, if we were to believe their reported numbers, uh, which I think is, is just really positive. I don't know why people should be losing money if if it's just going to someone that's, that's gonna take it from them. Um, and if someone really wanted to, you know, donate or, or give money to the hacker they could have just withdrawn to their own wallet and then send it through uh, their own wallets to to that account so i don't think there's any problem i actually really like it uh i am a little bit s- skeptical of the number that they reported i think it's a little bit unrealistic and, and it might be skewed because some people were trying to send it even though they knew it was not going to go through uh but still overall i think it was a really good reaction
0: Well, we were talking about this earlier today while we were preparing for the show. Part of the animosity or the vitriol towards Coinbase is maybe tied to just their weird marketing of themselves, right? Like they're trying to be everything for everyone. They want to be the new open financial system while at the same time acting like how any other financial institution would act in this circumstance. And so maybe... In a sense, they're kind of asking for this pushback. If if they just came out and said, "Hey, like we're a centralized financial institution that's going to implement the same type of guardrails that any other mm-hmm. such firm would," maybe some of the folks in the peanut gallery would have been a little bit quieter. Um, so, to an extent, maybe they're getting they're getting what they what they deserve on that end. And there's always going to be that element in crypto right. that just doesn't care. They want everything decentralized. They they want people to get what they deserve, so to speak. Um, yeah. So maybe Coinbase just has to sort of come to terms with what they actually are and, and be, I guess, a little bit more honest about it. Um, but right. anyone who's sensible, I think, uh, you know, <laughs> would, would say that this is, this is good that they did this. I I guess like I'm going through some of the comments and it's just like, geez, like these people (laughs) are so, they're so antagonistic and just unbridled. It's hard to
1: please please people uh, overall. But I I think, again, I think uh, that if it's just preventing people from losing money for nothing, then it's always a good thing. If, If they were preventing people from sending money to some investment opportunities or something else, then I think the pushback is warranted. Uh, but in this case, I think it's ridiculous to, uh, criticize Coinbase from saving money of people that don't know better.
0: It's the same stuff. You know, like here's one guy who said true decentralization also passes through the freedom to waste one's money with (laughs) stupidity. Just (laughs) a lot of people on their, uh, libertarian high horse. And I'm not trying to pick on libertarians, you know, they're, 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 uh, they're worthy of their opinion, um. It's just
1: yeah, and if someone is if someone really wants to lose their money bad enough, like I said, just withdraw the money and send it uh, through one more hop. You know, no one's really going to stop you there. Uh, so I, I really don't think there's much to criticize here.
0: Yeah, another thing mentioned in Yogita's story from this morning was uh, the the Wasabi wallet, which is known as kind of being yeah. this mixer where you can hide transactions. Is there anything? from your perspective, you know, I'm not like the deep tech guy. I don't even know what a wallet is, <laughs> to be honest. Um, if it doesn't, I'm, I'm I, well, when, this, when this was first starting and even I was kind of like, who cares? This doesn't have anything to do with market structure. What do I need to take the time <laughs> out of my day to even pay attention yeah. to it? I felt like one of those um, early uh, uh, COVID s- skeptics early on. I was like, this isn't, no, one's going to be talking about this tomorrow. When in fact, you know, it was all that anyone was. Talking <laughs> Everyone's about.
1: still talking about it. Yeah, I'm still getting likes on my tweets these days. Which, but 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 so like, what is it? Yeah, you
0: know, with the wasabi wall, like maybe like kind of, I kind of gave like a aperitif of what it is. But right. what is it, and like, what did we? What was revealed about it? During this
1: yeah. this hack, so like yeah, so like I said, you know, initially everything was collected basically just to three wallets, and, and most I think it was like 40 percent, forty percent, and then twenty percent in the last one. So it was scattered across the th- these three wallets, uh, and then so what what the hackers started doing is is splitting these transactions, splitting these uh, bitcoins into smaller addresses, smaller amounts, and then co- consolidating them, then splitting them again into smaller wallets. Uh, so it would be harder to track, but obviously, you know, we have tools like Chainalysis, Elliptic, and these blockchain analysis tools that track this super easily. So what you can do then, if you want to kind of obfuscate uh, the path of the Bitcoins, is you can try to mix them through uh, you know, multiple different techniques. Uh, really, the, the main one is, is like you said, coin joints. Uh, and so what happens is you just mix a lot of outputs and a lot of different people participate in this so it's it's kind of hard to prove that this went to person a if it could have went to person b c d and e so you basically just mix these uh mix these amounts and and then it's hard to tell for sure who actually ends up owning them afterwards so this is called mixing uh, and this is often done by people that want to preserve their, their privacy uh so as we know you know bitcoin is pseudonymous so so if you want to track something you can track it pretty easily mixing kind of helps with that so it's it's much harder to track Um, if you do it right it's very very hard to track if you don't do it right it's still possible to track Um, so it's usually done by people that either really like to preserve their privacy and want their bitcoin to continue being fungible Or by people that, you know, want to clean something that's essentially in some ways involved in illegal activity. So, you know, what happens after this hack is that all the exchanges, Binance, Coinbase, Kraken, they will all block the addresses that are involved uh, with these Bitcoins. So if someone wants to cash out, they're not able to cash out because they won't take their Bitcoins. Uh so people start mixing and and then they start cashing out in different ways so that's kind of one approach of doing this uh, another approach which the hacker actually could have done we just we won't really know for sure is that you go on one of these kind of centralized wash trading venues on dark web uh which is basically just a site it's, it's some people that have a lot of experience with uh, basically uh washing these stolen funds and you give them a cut so for example you give them like 20 to 30 percent of the entire amount and they give you 70 percent back of clean bitcoins that you can then cash out on coinbase and no one will know it it was you Uh, and then they specialize on cleaning those coins uh so they do a lot of mixing uh, and they do whatever kind of works to make sure that they don't get caught so those are the two most kind of popular techniques if you want to Uh, if you want to wash your stolen or illicit Bitcoins.
0: The one thing that might be confusing for some people is, I mean, I hope that folks who are listening to this might be somewhat newer to the space or crypto curious. But Uh even when I first started exploring it, this idea of Bitcoin's pseudonymous pseudonymous nature, hopefully Taryn can edit Uh that out, is the fact that, on one side of the fence, you can kind of fairly easily track these different addresses and the movement of funds and tie them to these addresses without knowing who exactly is behind it. Um, But you have a lot of like misinformation out there in the media about how Bitcoin either makes it very easy to do something like this because you can't track them, but then you have other people pundits in the space saying, well, actually you can see everything on the blockchain and that makes something like this super stupid. But the, the answer or the reality is somewhere in between. Right. And so I guess, I guess like, you know, talking to like my parents about this, the one question they had was, well, is there a way that some of these blockchain firms can leverage the visibility of the ledger to use different softwares that they can ultimately find out? All right. Person X did this. Like, is there anything elliptic can do or chain analysis can do with different yeah. governments that can help them. All right, it's it was Frank.
1: <laughs> yeah, they can. <laughs> uh, like you said, you know there, there are companies like Chainalysis, like Elliptic, like Cypher Trace, a bunch of these blockchain analysis companies. And what they essentially do is they track you know, where the Bitcoins start and where they end up. Uh, if there is mixing, it's a little bit harder they can handle it if if it's not done right if it's done really well i think they have a lot of issues and i i think in some cases it's not even possible but let's assume it is possible and they track where the bitcoins end up uh then if the person you know if it's you and you think that you know you finally you're safe you kind of obfuscated your trail you can now cash out and you deposit a small amount into coinbase uh, then you're you're really done because In Coinbase and some other exchanges, you have mandatory KYC and that KYC will then be connected to your on-chain transfers. Uh, So if the hacker is stupid enough, uh, which we still don't know, but it's possible, they might deposit a small amount into one of their accounts uh, where they have their own KYC information and that they can potentially get caught. Uh, So that's really how most of these things happen. People are just not careful enough uh, and they get, get caught. You know, that being said, like you said, everything is extremely traceable. But if you do do everything correctly and, and you mix everything perfectly and you obfuscate your trail as, as well as possible, it, it's fairly hard to actually uh, catch these people if, if they don't make any mistake, if they you know use Tor, if they use a VPN, if they use everything that's available, it's fairly hard because Bitcoin is extremely liquid um and, and if you do a good job mixing it's hard to trace it back to you and then you can just cash it out usually you would cash it out in, uh either in person or through like an otc deal or something or through a small exchange um and it is hard to, to catch those people um or you can you know go on some small exchange swap to monero and swap back and all of a sudden you have you virtually have a clean bitcoin that you can then cash out Uh, So there are definitely ways. The the issue is that criminals are usually not as sophisticated as you would think. So they make mistakes along the way. Uh, You and I would probably make make a mistake or two as well and eventually get caught because you just slip. Uh, It's just like regular criminals.
0: In thinking about um, how this attack unfolded and, and who the folks were behind it, there is a sense that obviously he was fairly familiar deep in the crypto world, given that he started there. But there's also other indications uh, that show he's a trader. So what what were some of the revelations on that front?
1: So, yeah, I think, like I said, at first, I think the first indication was the connection to Angelo. You know, he's a known trader and he tried to pull off uh, or the person impersonating him tried to pull off a paid group scam which is something that a normal person that is not in crypto would not necessarily know and and they would not know that the demographic that angelo has would work for this scam so that was the first uh, indication Uh, the second one being uh, the kind of transaction uh, that he was making prior to the scam so if you look at his history before the the scamming started uh, there's actually some connection to BitMEX. Uh, so it, it's possible that he was a trader uh, on BitMEX and that he was actually um, you know, a, a regular member of the crypto community. So that was another indication. Um, and then eventually he started sending small amounts to multiple different crypto exchanges, which could indicate that he has accounts or they have accounts on these exchanges like like Binance, Coinbase, Kraken. Uh, so there, there's definitely some indications that show that this person was at, at the very least well-versed in the crypto ecosystem. Um, doesn't necessarily prove that, but I would say that there's a pretty high chance of that happening. The counter argument to that is that he was making some weird choices when he was transacting on chain with Bitcoin. So maybe he was not as well-versed with how everything works and how to kind of preserve your privacy to the full extent. But it did seem like the hacker was at least aware of the crypto ecosystem and could kind of cater towards it. And, and obviously, you know, he also started on those large crypto accounts before they moved They moved on to the larger accounts.
0: To an extent, Bitcoin was kind of painted in a bad light in the media. A lot of people call mm-hmm. this like a Bitcoin scam, the Bitcoin hack, the crypto scam. Right. When, you know, it, it was um, obviously Bitcoin was used and there are aspects of Bitcoin that made it prime to be used in this. But it was mm. a Twitter hack at the end of the day. And I, I feel like the problem right. is there's not enough nuance out there to kind of identify that as as being sort of the, the, the key point here. It right. can be a Bitcoin scam and a Twitter scam, but not you know, necessarily just a Bitcoin scam exclusively. Right. I wonder, like, even still, it seems like Congress and and regulators are probably privy to the fact that, all right, this is something that Twitter needs to answer for. Um, yeah. But I wonder, like, regular everyday folks, if this just leaves another bad taste in their mouth about this nascent new asset.
1: Yeah, I think it does. I think definitely for public perception, it was not a good thing because all of a sudden, you know, you don't get that many Bitcoin headlines, maybe when, when the halving was happening, but often you don't you don't get many headlines and all of a sudden you're getting all the headlines in all the newspapers. Most of them were on the front page and it's all associated with a bad thing. And so for normal people, for people that are not in the space every day, that's a negative thing. It's connected to crime um, and it kind of, um, it strengthens the narratives that these people already have in their mind. So I think overall, it was it was definitely a negative thing for your everyday people and politicians that are not as nuanced. Uh, but then you know you can look at it from a different perspective, which is you know Bitcoin was essentially kind of fulfilling what it's supposed to do, right? It's a censorship resistant medium of exchange and it was functioned that way. No one could stop it. And the hacker essentially got what they got, what they wanted just because of Bitcoin. So Bitcoin enabled it, that's both positive and negative. It depends on what perception you have. Uh, but I think you can you can make both of, the, both of the arguments, but overall, I still think it's a bad thing because most of the people are just not that nuanced and they don't need censorship resistant cash. Uh,
0: And the other funny thing was Bitcoin didn't even move. I mean, if this happened in 2017, we would have, uh, you would have had a (laughs) lot of angry people at me for my headline, uh, Bitcoin (laughs) tanks following crypto hack. Um, I frankly, I,
1: I, I frankly don't know what can happen. So Bitcoin would move. Like, I, I don't know if it's a nuclear war, if it's, uh, you know, you getting a girlfriend finally, um, (laughs) really anything can happen and Bitcoin will stay at 9,200, uh, for the foreseeable future. Um, so what, I don't know, are, you know. what are people,
0: what are people you're talking to maybe on the exchange side or trading side, we can kind of close, I guess, with just like this aspect cause it is top of mind and it's been somewhat problematic for us. Right. Because when people aren't, uh, concerned about price swings, they're maybe not reading news as much. Um, to what to, to what degree do you think we'll be stuck in this tight range and and what are people uh how are people explaining this to you it's kind of new territory for for crypto i mean maybe people are moving into alts or looking at yeah, opportunities think, and options and such
1: yeah i think that's part of it i think there're a lot of different opportunities right now like you said one of them is is open finance and defi Coins, which are all, you know, all doing 5x in the past three months. Uh, So a lot of the investors and some of the VCs that I've been speaking to, they're looking forward to those opportunities. They don't really want to trade something that doesn't move enough. So they look into this. And then the second aspect is that there are other opportunities in in equities and in the regular financial world. Uh, You know, everything is really volatile these days. It's getting a little bit less so recently, but... Like a month or two ago, um, everything was swinging so much uh, that people were just attracting to the market a little bit more. You know, you have Tesla doing these crazy runs. Why would someone, you know, why would a trader want to trade Bitcoin if they can trade Tesla, which is much more volatile, and they can make much more money on it? So I think those are, those are two parts. And then, like you said, options certainly play a small role as well. Uh, what this means, essentially, is that as volatility it's really low. It's the lowest it's been in like the last two to three years. Um, the, the volumes on the exchanges are really low. And that's really bad for the space. Either way you look at it, because exchanges are making less money. Traders are less, less excited to trade. Um, so even though the market is 24-7, uh, the volumes are tagging. They're, they're the lowest they've been in a, in a really long time. Um, and that's not good. So I think right now, really, everyone in the space is, is looking for the volatility return to the major coins like Bitcoin and Ethereum. They've been sitting at, at this range forever, and it's, it's not good for everyone.
0: Yeah, and it's certainly not good. Uh, you know, People like to think that we're the bullies of the space or we, we don't want to see <laughs> firms do, do well. But listen, when, when trading volumes are low, uh, impressions are also somewhat low well i think this is yeah. a great conversation i hope that um anyone who maybe was stuck under a rock or on vacation or just couldn't <laughs> keep up with the the influx of of news related to this can just like give this a quick listen and and kind of get caught up to speed um but i hope not too many people listen because then that means we'll have to have you on more often which <laughs> yeah, i don't know terrible. about that all right ladies yeah, and gentlemen Thank you so much. Thanks, Larry. (laughs) Take it easy. Thanks
1: a lot, Frank. Cheers.
0: like to give our sponsor Bitstamp a big thank you. The original global cryptocurrency exchange. Bitstamp is built for professional traders, yet intuitive enough for any investor. You can use Bitstamp's advanced trading interface, TradeView, to execute your strategy or instantly buy crypto in seconds when the opportunity strikes, all from your computer or mobile device. Bitstamp prides itself on delivering unmatched customer service with a human touch. Their global customer care team is available around the clock via telephone, email, and social media. When you contact them, you'll always speak to an actual person, not a bot. You can download the Bitstamp app from the App Store or Google Play, or visit bitstamp.net slash pro to learn more and to start trading today. That's bitstamp.net slash pro.